says in verse 37 on the last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried out saying if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Father, we just do pause and as always want to humbly ask, please help us to hear the voice of your spirit speaking to our hearts what you need to say to each one of us here in this gathering this morning. We thank you for your word, that your spirit inspired it and gave it to us. And so we ask now that your spirit would be our interpreter and our instructor and that you would take the word of God and just cause it to have impact and personal influence in each one of our lives. Lord, prepare us. You know what that means for each one of us. And help us to hear your voice speaking to us from your word. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated together. You know, can you honestly say this morning that you are satisfied and fulfilled in your life today? I also would ask this, does your current life experience include more than just seeking things for yourself, whereby you can honestly say that you see and you know that you are having as well some substantial influence upon other people around you and in this world? Well, today our passage is going to address those actual things as I ask those questions. It gives answers to finding internal satisfaction or fulfillment within ourselves it also gives to us answers and instruction regarding outward influence upon people that God intends that we would be having and how both of those things are directly connected to our spiritual experience to being in right relationship with God and with his son Jesus Christ we're going to learn that the Lord does not just want listen to fill our cup but he wants our cup to overflow and to overflow in such a way spiritually that we're having an impact upon what is a very thirsty world all around us. And a very thirsty world that if you haven't noticed, even at times perhaps just being misled, is drinking at all sorts of wells, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find fulfillment. And God wants us to be that overflowing cup that can lead them to the living water that will ultimately fulfill the background of where we're at this morning here in John 7 is as follows. We're the last few months before Jesus' death, his crucifixion as he dies upon the cross for the sins of the world and then rises again back to life so that now as the living Lord and Savior, he can give salvation to mankind. Specifically here in John chapter 7, as we've been studying it together, we know Jesus is currently in Jerusalem. He's participating amongst a group of thousands of people, crowds there, in what is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles, remember, was one of the three uh, main festivals or religious holidays for the Jews where they would annually gather. And for a week-long celebration, it was sort of a religious holiday, they would worship and reflect upon particularly the Feast of Tabernacles. The reflection was upon God's loving and powerful preservation of the Jewish people as they traveled through the wilderness 
during those 40 years in Israel's history and how God preserved and sustained his people in the harsh desert wanderings by supplying whatever they needed. Even at one point, if you remember, actually, let me say two points, I should better say, actually bringing forth miraculously water from a rock to satisfy the thirst and meet the need of the people in that day. Look at me in verse 37. Let's sort of see what happens now as they're there at the feast. It says, verse 37, that it was on the last day of that feast, the last day, the great day of the feast, that Jesus stood and cried out. Now, this gives us the important setting of when and exactly why Jesus makes these statements that we see here in our verses this morning. We know from history that during each day of this week-long Feast of Tabernacles that the people would gather there in the temple area in the morning and then following the priest with a golden vessel, like a golden pitcher, this large procession would make their way down to the area of the Pool of Siloam. And there the priest would then fill up this golden vessel with clean, fresh water. And the procession would then make their way back up to the temple area where the altar was. And the priest would then symbolically dump out this water that he just collected onto the large pavement stones. And it was really a symbolic way as they were all celebrating to remember how God miraculously brought forth water to quench their thirst. And he brought it forth from a stone or a rock back in the days of their wanderings in the wilderness. And while all this procession was going on, there was this great joy and celebration as the people went down to the Pool of Siloam and then back up to the temple area. They were singing what are called the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113 to 18. And there was this joyous celebration as this went on day after day throughout the week. Yet something different happened on what is referred to here in verse 37 on the last day, the great day of this feast. On that day, it was set aside the culminating day, typically most believe the eighth day. The people gathered in the morning as they did before there in the temple. Only that day, there was not loud, joyous singing and celebration. It was complete silence. The people assembled as they always would. The priest had the golden vessel as he did every other day. And there was this silent procession as they went down to the pool of Siloam and the priest would not fill the vessel with water but symbolically would pretend as if he did they would then silently walk back up to the temple area to the altar and then the priest would act out as if he were dumping the water of which the vessel was empty this time the same way dumping the water which no longer was there upon the pavement stones and that day on the silent day the great day it was sort of a solemn reflection acknowledging that they still had need even to that very current day and that they must dependently trust God in faith to continue to provide for them the water that they needed for survival for their crops and life-giving water to quench their thirst in different ways. And it was a reminder of how the Lord could quench their thirst and supply life-giving water. Now, it's with those activities, understand visually, and that important backdrop of what was happening now on this last day after the entire week of this ceremonial procession. It was on this last day as they're reflecting on these things silently out of the crowds that it says there in verse 37 that Jesus stood up and he cried out now i want you to realize jesus standing up 
and Jesus crying aloud with his voice was a very unusual activity for Jesus' humble, typical style of ministry. When you look at the life and the ministry of Christ in the scriptures, typically Jesus ministered in a very calm, straightforward manner. Jesus doesn't seem to be someone who ministered with all types of hype and emotion. He was meek. He was humble. And typically Jesus ministered in that manner. Now this day, something unusual happens. Jesus stands up and with a loud voice, he cries out and sort of, in a sense, in a way that was very evident, purposely intending to draw everyone's attention to himself and to what he was saying in that critical moment. Indicating here, Jesus wanted to make sure this day that these very important statements, which we have in our text together this morning, were so vital. These statements were so critical and so essential. He wanted everyone to be attentive and focused on his words because to hear and to believe and to respond to what Jesus says here is life changing. It's life changing, which should show us the essential importance of why Jesus said this and what Jesus is saying. Well, let's look what Jesus said together in verse 37. Again, as the people are considering how God satisfies their need of water, how God quenches their thirst, how God is the one who gives water for life, as they're silently reflecting upon that, Jesus with this loud voice stands and speaks out and says, if anyone has thirst... If anyone thirsts, let him come, notice, to me and drink. Here Jesus identifies, first of all, the deep inner need, the spiritual need in type of er inside of every person. And he also very evidently here indicates that he is the solution for that need internally in every person. What Jesus is doing here now is he wants to at this point publicly reveal how people can arrive at an experience of internal satisfaction. The way he does that is he starts with identifying mankind's inner spiritual need and his awareness and their awareness that everybody has a spiritual thirst. <laughs> Jesus says there, if anyone thirst, he could very well have just said everyone does thirst. Because he knows that everyone has a thirst. And again, even if we were to illustrate for ourselves this morning, as we were created and designed as human beings with a physical need for water, a physical thirst for water, for our survival and for our health. And again, we all know that if our bodies do not partake of water, what happens? Our health suffers due to dehydration. We find ourselves, uh, in a sense, not operating physically the way we're supposed to at full potential. We start to have symptomatic problems in our bodies if there is dehydration and we are not taking in the water that we need. We begin to become somewhat dysfunctional and our state of living naturally starts to struggle in many different ways symptomatically. So that being the case, understanding that we need water for not only health but even survival we die without it therefore god has created within every one of us this thing called a thirst drive because of the need for water god has created a corresponding thirst drive to make sure that the need is met in our lives 
So there is this thing we call a thirst drive, which is this strong drive within us that makes us yearn for and desire and seek after to partake of water that we sense we need. The thirst drive is what motivates a person and prompts them to drink in order to satisfy what is being caused within them by the need that exists. Well, Jesus, listen, being God in flesh, understanding how humanity is created, now uses that as a metaphor, as an analogy for what he understands and knows to address the deeper need, the spiritual need and the spiritual thirst that exists inside of every person in their innermost being. And Jesus here talks now about this in much the same way as the physical. See, the Bible teaches that we were created by God. And more than that, listen, we were all created for God. We were created by God and created for God, and we are designed to have an experience with God personally, inwardly, and eternally that's the way god created us in his love for us that we were created for him to have an experience in a personal way with him and what we all need to become listen a whole fulfilled and healthy operating person is to have an experience with god and to the extent we do we become more whole and more healthy as a person and if a person is not having an experience with god if a person is missing that in their inward life, then as a result of that, there will be struggle and suffering in how a person lives and functions in their everyday experience. It's almost like, if you would, spiritual dehydration, where in the same way, there are symptomatic problems attached to our inner life. We begin to find that we struggle in our soul and our spirit. Our inner person, if you would, starts to malfunction and we have struggles within our lives our minds struggle in ways they're not supposed to struggle our desires struggle in ways they're not supposed to struggle we find ourselves wrestling with how to live and how to function and we struggle and whether people realize it or not we don't operate the way we were designed and intended because we're operating independent from god spiritually dehydrated and ultimately, if we reject the living water of God's spirit in our life, ultimately it as well can lead to death, but not physical death. But what the Bible says is eternal death, damnation, being cast into hell and separated from God forever. So because of that need for God in our life, just like the need for water in our life, because of the need for an experience with God in our life, guess what God did? God created within every person a spiritual thirst a thirst for what is spiritual it's designed in every one of us as well listen to what the psalmist says in psalm 42 he says as the deer pants for the water brooks so pants my soul for you O god my soul thirsts for god for the living god and in the same way as physical thirst spiritual thirst is intended by god to be a strong inward drive or motivator to cause us to yearn for to seek after whether we realize what's happening or not to yearn for and seek after an experience with god in a personal way in an inward way that we might ultimately have that thirst satisfied we sense we need something that's why jesus says here in these verses if anyone thirsts 
because he understands that everyone genuinely thirsts. So he says, therefore, if anyone thirsts, he recognizes the spiritual thirst and need for God within the life of every person. And let me just say this morning, it is really important, really important to recognize that you do have a spiritual thirst inside of your innermost being. In the same way, it's very good to understand what this thirst drive thing is when you're experiencing it, right? It's important to realize that you do have a spiritual thirst within your life. And here's how that spiritual thirst works. Even as physical thirst has a sensation attached to it, right? Everyone is a human being. You know what that sensation is, your thirst drive. In the same way, the spiritual thirst within us causes an inward sense of our deep need in the inner part of our being. Here's how the spiritual thirst works. It causes those feelings within a person of what we might refer to as inward emptiness, of just a dissatisfaction within ourselves, an unhappiness, a restlessness within us where we yearn and experience for some fulfillment deep within a satisfaction, the answer to something. And, and it's where we're, whereby always still, no matter what we do, we may try this physically and we may have that possession and this material thing and that success or advancement and, and all the, the things that we can, again, drink from of all the wells of the physical world that we live in and relationships and all these things and experiences. And we pursue all those things, but because there's a spiritual thirst, there's always something within us deep within though we try all those things for a while in life. I did it for almost 18 years. There's still that peculiar longing deep within yourself that makes us still search for something more and makes us still sense within ourselves that something's still missing. What is it? I have this and this and I've done that and that and I've accomplished this and experienced that and enjoyed this. And yet no matter how much and what we do and what we experience, there's still something deep within this nagging yearning. We perhaps can't even explain it at times for a while where we sense, but there's still something missing. Why am I still thirsting for something? Why am I still yearning for something else? And let me just say this morning, that drive is intended by God to cause you to keep searching. And I want to say this this morning. Please, don't ever overlook that sometimes that longing within you that you can't figure out is your soul is thirsting. You're thirsty for God. That's what you're thirsty for. The psalmist says in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. That's what the answer is. There's a spiritual thirst. In Jeremiah, God refers to himself multiple times as the fountain of living waters. The people would come to God and drink deeply of what he alone can supply spiritually in our lives. Well, once Jesus identifies the spiritual need... And the thirst that it causes, notice secondly here in verse 37, Jesus then indicates rather boldly, that's why he stood up and cried out, that he is the solution now for that need and for that thirst. Do you see what Jesus says there? Look at it in the text, verse 37. If anyone thirsts, here he says is the solution, let him come to me and drink. 
The Lord Jesus, being God again, dwelling in human flesh, personally now invites everyone and anyone sensing their inner thirst to come have that thirst satisfied with the solution of coming directly to him and drinking the living water spiritually that only Jesus can give to satisfy the inward thirst. For it's in coming to Jesus experientially and drinking what he offers through his life that one can only in that way find inward satisfaction, inward fulfillment, that thing that we all long for. Nothing and no one else can quench the inner thirst of our spiritual need. Again, if I can illustrate with physical thirst. My wife and I were outside recently doing my most dreaded task, which is yard work. Why we do it at the part of the day when it is the absolute hottest, I have absolutely no idea, but you know, you're sweating, you're nasty, and you that thirst drive is in overdrive. And I'm totally thirsty from doing what we're doing and we're outside. Now, when that thirst drive is at full potential and I am yearning for that thirst to be satisfied, if my wife came over and I said, I'm so thirsty, honey, I'm so thirsty. And she said, well, listen, let me just give you a hug and a smooch. Be nice, actually be kind of gross because I'm sweating, but it would do nothing for my thirst drive. My point is this, that emotional experience does not meet the, the thirst drive that I have. So that experience, though it's an experience, it doesn't meet the need. I need water. There's only one thing that can quench the thirst, that can meet that need. So whether it's an emotional experience or if she said, well, I, you know, this is a good time. I wanted to tell you I bought this present for you. Nothing physical would address the physical thirst need. Only water will quench the thirst. Well, the same is true spiritually. There's a spiritual thirst because you have a spiritual need for God in your life as a person. And nothing and no one else on this planet can meet that need. Just like a hug from my wife won't address my thirst drive. In the same way, you have a spiritual need for an experience with God and a spiritual thirst And sadly, mistakenly, often many times, let's be honest, unknowingly, people live life trying to satisfy their spiritual thirst for God within with all kinds of other things. We sense that there's a a drive there, a spiritual thirst. We don't even know it's called a spiritual thirst, maybe. So what do we do? We try and find things to fulfill ourselves. So we, we try, you know, pleasure or entertainment or, or indulging substances or, or, or success and accomplishments or, or relationships. And, and we're, we're, in a sense, using all these things and we have a circle, an empty space in our heart that's intended for God. And we're trying a square peg, we're trying a triangle peg, and we're trying to put all these other things in there and we're realizing, man, nothing's working. That's by design. No human relationship, wonderful as they can be, can meet the need for a relationship with God in your life. No possession, no experience, searching for fulfillment and all these things, none of those things work. Why? Because they're not the appropriate thing to meet the need. Just like you need water for your physical thirst, you need God. You need the Lord for your spiritual thirst. That's the only thing that will work. It's only coming directly, notice the text, to the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, in a personal, relational way. 
to partake and receive from him and what he supplies that resulting fulfillment can come into any one of our lives. Jesus says, come to me and drink if you're thirsty. You know, when we read this here in John 7, it reminds us of a recent conversation we saw back in John chapter 4 that Jesus had with a woman at the well. And remember that woman at the well there in John chapter 4? Jesus met with her alone, had a private meeting. That woman at the well, it said she had already had five husbands and the man she was now living with, she wasn't even married to. So you want to talk about somebody who knew what it meant to keep searching and searching and searching and searching. I mean, she went through five guys. She was trying number six. She was trying to find fulfillment. She was longing for satisfaction through the things that we often do. And she had tried so many things to find happiness, personal satisfaction, to solve her inward emptiness. And there that day at the well, as she's about to draw water, Jesus uses this as an object lesson. And he speaks to her about her inner thirst within. He says this to her in John chapter 4, that woman at the well. Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of the water of this well, he says, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Do you hear that? Jesus said, whoever drinks from this well, he says, this is a picture of life. She would draw water from that well. She would drink it. But what did she have to do the next day? Come back to the well again because it didn't eliminate the thirst drive or completely fulfill the need. So Jesus said, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. And it's an illustration of what happens. We drink from this well. We drink from that well. You've drank from that well. You've drank from this well. You've tapped out all the wells on the planet. And you realize no matter how many wells you tap out, maybe you got more wells than everybody. But then you thirst again. And you thirst again, right? It's like the Christmas experience. I've raised three children. They're teenagers, one in college now. It don't matter what Christmas, what year, no matter how many number of gifts you put on. Is that all? And they're like looking under the tree. You know, maybe one's hidden up in the branches or something. It, that's just like us as human beings. We try all the wells, but we thirst again. And Jesus says the reason why is because that's not the well of living water. If you drink of what I give, it's spiritual, it's internal, it's eternal, that's what you need, then you'll never thirst again. You'll find your thirst finally quenched in a way. Jesus saw she had been drinking of all the wells and kept thirsting, so he calls her to drink of his life, to find what she was longing for deep inside. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me personally, to Jesus, and drink. And perhaps this morning... If you're here and you're a Christian, you're following Jesus Christ, you can look at that and say, yes, that was my discovery. That was my discovery. I tried this well and I searched there and I searched there and, and, and ultimately, thankfully, by the grace of God, I finally realized what it was that I was longing for within. It was an experience with Jesus. Not religion, because religion can be a well like everything else. One man said before, religion is like the great opiate. You know, religion, in a sense, desensitizes a lot of people and leads them right into hell because they think through religious activity that they're finding fulfillment and religious practices that somehow they're making themselves right with God. Listen, if that would be enough, then there was no need for Jesus to have ever died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross and suffered for our sin and rose again because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. 
And even religion in itself mistakenly can in a sense be a well that we drink from and it's almost like a well that makes people punch drunk. It kind of sort of temporarily appeases the conscience and makes us think, well, I mean, but the reality is, is listen, I tried being religious for a little bit before I came to Jesus. You know what I did? Realized I was still empty and I needed Jesus. That only Jesus in a living experience with a living risen Jesus can satisfy that deep need within. Perhaps if you've come to Christ, you can say, man, that was it. I was so thirsty and Jesus finally quenched my thirst. Perhaps today you still honestly are thirsty. I would say to you, then perhaps Jesus in the living tense today is saying to you, inviting you personally, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. Listen, it's great we come to church, but coming to church isn't coming to Jesus. The church didn't die on the cross for our sins. Jesus did. And so Jesus invites us to come to him. Revelation 21 says, I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. The next chapter says, let him who hears and let him thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Hey, this morning, if you are thirsting still and you're realizing that's it, there's a spiritual need within. This is a spiritual thirst. I think Jesus would say to you lovingly, why keep living like that? Why keep living with that longing within you, that struggle, that suffer? Come to me, Jesus would say today. Come to me and drink what I will supply. Your part soul will be satisfied and you can become fulfilled within. Look what Jesus then says in verse 38, his next declaration. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus explains there in his next statement how we can come to him so easily. And then the ultimate blessed experience, ultimately the outcome of that spiritual experience is that we can not only drink, but then have an overflowing cup that has spiritual influence upon the world around us. In verse 38 here, after telling those who are thirsty to come to him to drink, Jesus here explains, if you would, how a thirsty person, if they decide to come to him, can respond. When the person hears, yes, I want Jesus to satisfy my thirst how do I come to him? Well, Jesus explains in verse 38 there, this is how we come to him, to drink the living water, to experience salvation. Jesus says, verse 38, look at it. This happens, he says, when a person believes in me as the scripture has said. We come to Jesus experientially and relationally to drink and receive what he supplies very simply by deciding at some point in our life to exercise our personal faith in trust toward Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Notice with me, if you would, verse 38, that as Jesus indicates we must put faith toward him, that it must be, he says there, in accordance with what the truth of the Scriptures have said. He who believes in me in accordance, he says, with what the Scripture says. Now let me ask this. What does the Scripture say in regards to to the person of Jesus and our need for Jesus and what Jesus alone can supply. Well, let me just briefly discuss a few verses from just one book out of the entirety of Scripture. It's the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, there's no difference for we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So according to the Scripture, the Bible says there's no difference of any human being on this entire planet. We may have a different economic status, 
we may have a different geographic location, we may have different ages, we may have different races and ethnicities, but God says there's one difference. There's, there's one thing that's, there's no difference. Everybody fails. There's no difference. All sin. Thought, word, or deed, we all think things, do things, say things throughout our life that are wrong. We all make mistakes. We miss the mark of perfection. God's heavenly status is glory, perfection in heaven. We all fail. We miss that mark. So we're all sinful. We're all guilty before a holy God. But Romans 5 says, but God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for the ungodly and that his shed blood saves us from the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin against our creator, a holy God. That's good news. God said there needs to be a solution. Forgiveness needs to come for sin and the offense of humanity for every one of us. So God says, I'll take the responsibility upon myself. I love the people. I love people. So God sends his son. Jesus comes to this earth. Jesus lives upon this earth as a man, fully God, fully man, the mediator between God and humanity. He lives the sinless, perfect life that you and I can never live. He satisfies the righteous requirement of God in heaven for us. And then Jesus substitutionally dies upon the cross and takes the punishment for our sin. He takes the guilt of the whole world and he dies in our place to experience the wrath of God for us then rises again the third day now to be the savior of the whole world. So Romans 6.23 says, though the wages of our sin is death, that's what we deserve. Now the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That God through Jesus offers us the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins, the assurance of heaven. But it's a free gift offered to us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. We don't earn it. He earned it. He accomplished it. We must receive it as a free gift offered to us. We can reject the gift or we can receive a gift. How do we receive it? Romans 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart God's raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. For he says it, it's with the mouth, he says, or the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, according to what the scripture says, the Bible says the forgiveness of sin, which we all need because we all sin is available to everybody freely. Eternal life, going to heaven after we die, it's available freely as a gift to everybody. A real living relationship with God, not being religious, a relationship with God, an experience with God, your creator, is available freely to everybody. But notice, according to the scripture, we must believe it doesn't come through religious practices. It's not an automatic thing that we're automatically right with God because the Bible says, no, we're born sinful by nature. It doesn't come automatically. We don't earn it. It's a gift that must be received by sincerely believing according to the scripture what is said about us and God's son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, the awareness of my sinful condition that I can't solve, the recognition that Jesus made the solution and that he alone can offer it to me and at some point then determining and deciding that I will come to Jesus and ask him as the savior to save me from my sin and to give me his eternal life so that I can experience eternal life when my life on earth is over. And once we decide to drink from what Jesus supplies, the result is a spiritual experience happens inside of us. Our sin is forgiven. We experience eternal life as a gift. We come alive spiritually and we find inner peace and fulfillment. Now, if that inward satisfying work was not enough, 
Jesus explains here in verse 38 further what is the ultimate intention of God. Notice it, that we would have an influence on a thirsty world. That we would then overflow in our cup to reach others around us in this thirsty world. He says that the believer, once they come and start following Christ and have a spiritual experience, verse 38, out of his heart will then flow rivers of living water. For the believer, once we come in faith and drink from Jesus, the ultimate ideal is not just that the Holy Spirit work in us alone, but that ultimately the Holy Spirit would actually work through us so that our heart will overflow with the rivers of the living water of God to reach the world around us. Now, before I expound for a few minutes on the end of verse 38 there of what Jesus is saying of this overflowing experience, I want to first discuss from verse 39 what's being described by Jesus because the Bible gives us here, if you would, in verse 39, kind of what we might call a parenthetical statement, a parenthetical statement about what Jesus means of out of our heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, look at it. It says, but this he spoke about rivers of living water flowing from within. This Jesus spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So John there specifically indicates for us that Jesus was doing what? He was prophesying about the coming work of the Holy Spirit of God. He was giving a prophecy about the Holy Spirit's work, describing how when believers would experience Jesus, that the Spirit of God would not just be working inside of us, but ultimately he would want to work through our lives to influence the world around us for God as well. Notice if you would there in verse 39 with me, those believing in Jesus, it says, would receive the Holy Spirit. Those who would believe in Jesus, the experience, we would receive the Holy Spirit. And upon any person believing in Jesus as Savior and receiving him, the Bible teaches the result now of Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the dead, and ascending back to the right hand of God the Father, that now when a person receives Jesus Christ, they put their faith in him for salvation and follow him, as a result of that, the spiritual experience is that we receive the Spirit of God inside of ourselves. That that's what happens at salvation. That we receive the Holy Spirit of God internally and the Holy Spirit now indwells, enters my life, lives inside of me, and helps me in my Christian life. Now at this point, historically when Jesus was saying this, verse 39, Jesus had not yet died on the cross. He had not yet rose from the dead or ascended back up into heaven. So all they knew at that day was Jesus' physical interaction with them in a body of a man. As Jesus was dwelling among them in a body of flesh, he was in a sense the physical experience of God that they were having at that moment. That's what he means there when he says, verse 39, Jesus was speaking prophetically about the Spirit who those believing one day would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet died, risen again, and glorified. So at this point, the physical experience is all they knew. We're going to see in the upcoming chapters in John's Gospel that Jesus is going to start to talk about his departure from his followers and going somewhere else. And he's going to start to use interesting language. He's going to say, I'm going away, but I'm not really going away. I'm not going to be with you anymore, but I'm actually still going to be with you. And like you and I, the disciples are going, what in the world are you talking about? You're going away, you're not going away. 
You're not going to be with us, but you're still going to be with us. What does all this mean? Well, Jesus is going to promise this. Listen to his words later in John's gospel. Jesus says to them, I will be with you a little while longer, but where I'm going, you can't follow me now. But you'll follow me afterward. One day we'll follow him to heaven. I will pray the Father and he'll give you another helper. He may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Now, what Jesus was doing as he spoke of this personal departure, but not abandoning his followers, he starts indicating what he means by that. That after he died and he rose again and ascended back to glory in heaven, that he was going to send the spirit of God in his place, if you would. So Jesus is beginning to explain to his followers that he would be with them, listen, but he'd be with them in a different form, in a different capacity, no longer in a body of flesh physically as a man, but he now would be with them by the spirit, by the spirit of Christ or the spirit of God. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going away and I'm going to send you another helper to take my place. That word another there doesn't mean someone different altogether. It literally means another of a different kind another of the exact same kind not a different kind so what jesus is trying to say to them i'm still going to be with you to help but i will be with you in a different form now in the form of the person of the spirit i will reside within you and help you internally rather than being with you physically and externally and as jesus rose from the dead he ascends back up into glory. It tells us that now then Jesus, once he was glorified, poured out the Holy Spirit, Acts 2 says, upon his believers and followers. Describing that, it says this, Acts 2, 33, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus poured out this which you now see and hear. So in this time period now, that you and I live in historically, this is the spiritual experience of the follower of Christ and the believer in Jesus. That when we receive Jesus, when we come to Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and indwells us. That's what Paul meant when he said, Christ lives in me. That's what Paul meant. He wasn't saying physically, he meant the Spirit of Christ lives inside of him. And the Bible teaches that this is what happens now the personal representative of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is now the representative of the Trinity that directly works in humanity in our spiritual experience. That as we put our faith in Christ and accept Him, the Spirit of God dwells within us to help us in our relationship with God, to change me, to give me victory over sin, but He also empowers and enables me within to be an effective servant of Christ as his follower that's what jesus is indicating what i said let's go back to verse 38 this is what he means now when he says out of his heart will flow rivers of living water that's a reference to the holy spirit's work within the christian of how we could be effective channels for the lord channels of the spirit of god to flow forth and out into a needy world to quench the thirst of people who don't understand and don't recognize their need for God in their life. That God's ideal for our experience with the Spirit as a Christian is not just that the Holy Spirit work in me. That's first importance. Don't misunderstand that. First, the Holy Spirit works in us, 
changing us, working within us. But ultimately, God's highest ideal is that the Holy Spirit then begin to work not just within us, but work through us and come flowing forth from our life. And notice how God describes here through the words of Jesus our experience with the Spirit. It's supposed to be so powerful, so abundant, that it can't just be contained within. He says here, it's to be overflowing, pouring forth out of our life like a rushing river offering living water to a thirsty world. Please see the picture there. When God speaks of our experience with the Spirit, it's not described as this weak little trickling brook of water. It's not just a little drip coming from a faucet. The language used here to picture our experience with the Spirit, the image is like a mighty rushing river at flood stage that is so full that it's overflowing its banks and it is saturating everything in its surroundings. That the strength of the current is so strong that it moves and influences everything it comes into contact with. This is the illustration Jesus gives of the overflowing power of the Spirit from our lives, that proper and ultimate ideal for us to be experiencing, that the Spirit's flowing out of our heart will be like a rushing, mighty river giving life-giving water. That is, again, the overflow of God's love, just flowing out of your life like a rushing river, saturating thirsty people around you with the love of God like an overflowing current of a river that we would be speaking life-giving words to people we talk to that are so thirsty and searching for answers, like an overflowing river of sacrificial kindness and grace and giving and ministry to refresh a weary, parched, empty, dry world. And this morning, I have to say, if you are a believer, does that describe your current experience with the Lord? and his spirit in your life. Can you honestly say your experience with the Lord is the Holy Spirit is pouring out of your heart like a mighty flowing rushing river in a life-giving way? Be honest. Do you see that? Can you sense this overflowing power? If not, I just want to say that's what the Lord intends. That's his highest ideal. And I would say this, if you're not experiencing that as a Christian... The Lord's got something more for you. The Lord's got something more. He doesn't want you to be a stagnant pond. He wants you to be a flowing river where the Spirit of God is flowing forth from your life in power, in love. And I would say if that's your need this morning and if you're a Christian, do you believe what Jesus says? If you believe His Word, don't you want to experience that? Don't you want the highest ideal of your Christian experience as a follower of Christ? I would just say, if that's not your experience, ask the Lord. This morning, Lord, would you pour out your spirit afresh upon me? Lord, would you fill my cup to overflowing? Lord, I pray my heart would be a heart that the Holy Spirit is like rivers of living water just flowing out, saturating, helping people around me. That you'd ask him this morning. Believe he can do it. Receive it from him. And this morning, if you're here, and maybe you've never even yet come to Jesus. Maybe you've chosen not to, or maybe you've even been religious, but just realized, I, I don't know if I've ever had an experience with Jesus. And maybe that's what this inner longing is. 
I would say to you this morning, come to Jesus. Exercise your belief in him. Respond to his invitation. Open your heart to Jesus. Drink the living water that he supplies. Let your sin be forgiven. Receive eternal life. Begin to experience a relationship with God and the inward satisfaction you're longing for. The songwriter says this, Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Come receive. Come and live forever. Life everlasting. Strength for today. Taste the living water and never thirst again.